the Wheelie Podcast. Let your iPod bloom. Welcome to our new listeners. And we've got loads and loads of you we know this week. In fact, we know that there's 800 of you that are new. Wow, that's some sort of number, isn't it? It is. So, <laughs> a special welcome to new people yeah, and so. to our old guys. Well, you know, thanks for tuning in again. Yeah. And give us some feedback as well. Let us know what you think of our podcasts. That'd be good. You can comment on iTunes or even better, send us an audio file or you can email Richard at Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk or me, Heather, at wigglywigglers.co.uk and this week's special is about Farmer Phil and his combine so if you've got any farming comments to make go through to PWG, Philip William Gorringe at lowerblakemere.co.uk So, Rich, you've been out on the combine this week, I know. I did, first time. I'm, you know, even me as a bit of a country boy, I've never been on a combine. Haven't you? Thought. No, never. It was great. It was fantastic. You know, you climb up into the top of this massive machine, then you're looking down on the cutting mechanisms and everything, and Phil was there in his little tower of glory. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah, tell me too much about stuff. it, because we've already got to cut it down by about 50%. Yeah, we did rattle a bit, didn't we? Yeah, but anyway, it'll be good fun. Any... Total highlights that you need to mention before we go to it? Total highlights. It's difficult to say there are any real highlights because, <laughs> you know, it's kind of repetitive. <laughs> but kind of walking up to it and walking up the ladder. And leaving the cab it. It was good. That was good. I, and it was a good experience. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I went on the combine. I mean, it's kind of old hat to you and Phil, but it was a good experience for someone who hadn't done it before. So... The listener probably will get to share this completely exclusive experience of Farmer Phil's cab. But in the meantime, as I look out from the wiggly sofa, there is one, two, three, four people's heads up its belly. Right. And it's broken. We were talking about this, weren't we? The fact that you've got this massive machine that's hugely expensive, but it doesn't have much of a longevity, apparently. This is Class Combine's fourth year. And this is about it, really, for it. It's in its old age now. Right. And a bit of metal fatigue has set in. So yesterday, just as the weather cleared up and off, he went to Whitfield to do the grass seed. Yeah. Ping! A little piece of metal flew off and the combine ate it. And so that means that a day and a half of three people in its belly right. to get the piece out and remake it and stick Welding, it back on. Fixing. Yeah. I don't really know the technical I stuff, know, but... I know. Metal fatigue was what Farmer Phil said, Nightmare. in a very grumpy mood. I bet, yeah. But just before we go to the Combine report, I thought I'd got to share with you this review. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're it's usually funny, good, it? aren't they? You know, they to are. be fair. Yeah, it's good, but it's good to have a mixed set of reviews. Absolutely. So here we are from the blog from the class of HCS 560. And I've tried to find out what this is, but it's an American university's class. And it reviews all sorts of horticultural and agricultural bits and bobs. And it says this about us. Wiggly Wigglers is a rather silly gardening show based out of the United Kingdom. The hosts appear to be two fun-loving British gardeners who love using words like rubbish and magpie. (laughs) 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 Magpie! (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) 
The show is pretty funny, but it gets a bit annoying after half an hour. Yeah. Despite the silliness, it does offer good tips on composting your garden yeah. <laughs> as well as attracting birds. Yeah. And then somebody else has obviously gone on to comment. Yeah. What I especially like about this podcast is that evidently the Wiggly Wigglers team has put together some sort of fan base who emailed the show. <laughs> but I love the evidently, yeah. <laughs> as if we make it up. Yeah. So here's one I've made up <laughs> from Norma in London. Rich, thank you for your catalogue. I'm pouring over it every day. The Bokashi composter sounds brilliant for urban living. I'm two floors up, but have a garden patch at the back of the block. Our garden plot is open and next to the neighbours, and they'll go bonkers if they see what looks like food waste being put into my patch. It sounds wonderful to be able to put cooked and animal-based food in the Bokashi composter. OK, the question is, can I put Bokashi compost into a can of worms, or what? Yes, is the answer. Thank sure you. Answer. Yeah, <laughs> you can put it in there. The worms love it, don't they, Bokashi-treated waste? It really sort of stimulates their appetite. Yeah, it goes really quickly, doesn't it? It does, it goes really quickly. But of course, the worms are inadvertently feasting on all sorts of microflora and fauna when they move through the waste and soil and whatnot anyway, like bacteria and protozoa and fungi and whatnot. So because there's so much of that in the bokashi, you know, they really get off on the stuff. And then she says, can she put the bokashi compost in the can of worms together with her rabbit waste from her rabbit hutch? And they eat hay, mostly. Right. And it doesn't smell. I'm sure that'll be fine. There are people that use rabbit litter to farm worms, aren't there? There are. So, yeah, absolutely. And then you get a good mix of carbon and nitrogen anyway with the faeces and the straw. So yeah, the balance would be pretty much right to put in a wormery. Hmm. So why not? Yeah, go for it. And I tell you what, my chickens, Lillian and Valerie, yeah. since I've been feeding them bokashi with the layers mash, yeah. their poops do not smell. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. so it's really helping the health of their gut. Anyway, Norma L, suspected fan of Wiggly Wigglers, also right. says, Good to know about the bouquets. Lots of people are worried about the ethics of the flower industry. I think you should market them more widely. Do you sell them all year round? We do! We had a great discussion on a previous podcast about Anne's father-in-law balancing on a willow tree to pick pussy willow. You know, that was right at the beginning of the spring, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, David, who's 80, dangling yeah. on the edge of... Yeah, yeah doing his trapeze act. <laughs> Anyway, the Mayor of London's assistant phoned up yesterday. Right. He really thinks it's important to have English flowers for Excellent. his dues. Right. So I don't know whether they'll like have them off us. I've got a lot of time for him. Good Lord, have even, you even really? More, even more now. <laughs> and moving on. He's <laughs> 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 a good bloke. Yes, he's so lovely. You don't like him, Red Ken, I know. <laughs> but if you met him, you'd think he was great. Right, things are going horribly wrong here. So I'm off to do my combine report. Noise you can hear in the background is the combine. I've just walked up the field and Farmer Phil is sat in his combine, dust swirling around everywhere. It's a steaming hot day, and this is the noise that Herefordshire is full of at this time of year. Right through from the mid morning, right through to last thing at night, you can hear combine harvesters right the way across the county. So, anyway, I'm going to climb up in this massive machine in front of me and have a word with Phil. up a really steep staircase up into a huge cab 
So you get the impression that it's, it's looking pretty good for this year. Well, this this is a crop that thrives on on this sort of weather. Right. It makes it easier to combine. Um, yeah, and it sure. ripens better. Grass yeah. seed is one of those crops that's a little bit tricky because grass really wants to be green rather than golden ripe like corn. Yeah. And obviously, if it's wet because it's flat to the floor, it can rot. And then it can start to regrow, and you get an awful mess. Nice. And it won't combine very willingly, and, and all the problems that go with that. So, drought years like this year are usually a bit of a godsend when it comes to combining this stuff. Yeah, it, the, the hay looks beautiful. It's it really is. clean. The cattle will love it. Yeah, I'm sure they will. How do you how do you make sure that uh, you get really good quality hay like this? Well, look, we grow the crop with the seed as the priority right. but the management of the hay starts now when we combine it right. so that this field the hay is quite green so we'll tend this at least once you know just like you would a crop of hay normally yeah. and get get it dried out get it to make a little bit more and then we'll row it up and bale it and obviously the idea is to make sure that it's not wet so it goes in the barn doesn't heat up or go mouldy. Right, right. Um, and the, the cattle will love it. Right. And will you have enough hay uh, across your farm to sustain the herd for the winter? Well, we will do. But what we've, we've actually decided this morning, we, I think we said last week, that we decided not to mow some of our hay crop that we would normally sell as a cash crop. And this morning we've decided that we're not going to mow the rest of it either. Right. So that we will forsake selling our hay crop because the cattle will run out of grass to graze if we mow it. Right. So right. effectively they're going to eat that now. And this grass seed straw will have enough of this for the winter, that won't be a problem. Right. Although it looks like it's going to be one of those years where the potential value of any fodder that we have in the shed will far outweigh or could far exceed what we could do with it if you're a truly cynical you know financial bank manager type you'd yeah. sell the cattle and sell the hay it's been the most profitable thing you could do but right, we shan't right. be doing that no no okay fantastic Right, right. So 
they're relatively simple, I guess. Well, that's right. Better, you know. Obviously, the, the technology to make you do that has changed, but the principle of a combine is unchanged from the day they invented it. From the thrashing boxes, they are still effectively the same mechanism. Yeah. Just uh, swirls around in front of us. Uh, I've just seen a buzzard drop down and fly off. I guess he's probably looking for mice being frightened out from the, from the grass, perhaps. Well, little mammals like mice, voles, and shrews and so on love grass seed because you probably see it. You get it, it lies down, but underneath it is this quite dry environment in the stubble. And the mice love it. Yeah, I'm sure And they of do. course, when they're combining it, as long as I don't get too many mouse nests stuck on the end of my knife, it's very <laughs> irritating. <laughs> the buzzard thinks that this is a, a great sport because it reveals lots of food for it. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, later on in the evening, you'll see the owls all come out and hunt because now they can see into the stubble um, and, and there's all this prey to them. Yeah. So that you know that, that's not not accounting for all the insects and so on that live within the grass. It, it, it's actually a very very abundant in, in wildlife sort of crop because of the way it is, the physical characteristics. What time are you likely to finish tonight? Do you think? Well, we should be quite early tonight because once we finish this field, we've got to clean down, and then we're going into a different variety over at Whitfield. Um, and we've actually booked a day off tomorrow right. for Heather to get all in her finery because we've got a wedding in the local uh, church. That's right, yeah, yeah. Ev's going to play the organ and something, <laughs> so um, we, yeah, we've got fun. a day off tomorrow. Oh, I so wish I could be there. It'll be Sunday before we get and do any more, I think. Yeah, but usually, I mean, in this caper, once you start, you start at, uh, well, obviously, well, the second week in July or something? Well, normally, we're early this year, we'd normally start towards the end of July right. and we'd normally aim to finish at the end of August, perhaps the very beginning of September. Right, OK. Um, this year, I can see us finishing halfway through August as this weather right, right. continues. It, it, we can just carry on cutting at will. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I can't change the weather and as long as the yields aren't totally compromised, It'll be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually you don't start that early in the morning, do you? Why, why is that? Well, most of the time in this country we have a dew, particularly if it's been a very hot day, you can have quite a heavy dew and the crops won't combine very reasonably because they are effectively wet with a dew on them. Right. So we stop at night when the dew comes down and we could start in the morning once the dew's dried off. Nice, nice. Um, grass seed is particularly susceptible to that, um, and it is one of the first crops to refuse to go because of the dew. Right. Corn, you could go on a little bit later, um, and it, it doesn't affect it so badly, but grass seed, it just will not go through the machine when it's, when it's at all dewy or dawny, as we call it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting stuff. I mean, what about, does that happen in other countries as well? Do they have the same sort of Well, I you? think they do, because I remember years ago, um, when I went to Africa, they have quite heavy dews at night under certain circumstances, but it does vary. It depends how much 
water is in the atmosphere. If you're in a truly dry climate with very low humidity, there's no water in the air to condense out as dew. Right, right. It's, it's this humid heat that we've got. As soon as the air temperature cools, the water has to condense out of it, and that, that's that's what dew is. Right, right, okay. Now, as we're, we're going down the slope now, and I'm leaning forward to it, I've got a, bit, a bottle of squash that's trying to escape between my feet. But there, there's a whole bunch of ears of, of wheat popping up in amongst this grass. Yeah. Um, so presumably there would have been a crop of wheat on here last year. Yeah, what's happened there is um, that you're dead right that the grass seed follows a wheat crop and they're volunteers for the crop before. Right. Um, because they're wheat grains are a totally different size and shape from grassy grains, they're easy to clean out. So it would only be a cosmetic thing bothering to try and spray them out so we don't. Right, right, okay, that's good. It hasn't affected the yield and it, it's not a problem to us to clean them out. Right. And so there's no point in trying to spray them out. If they were very thick, Compromise the grass seed crop, then that'll be a bit different. But yeah, yeah. A few dotted around like this, and no consequence. Okay, so what will you put on this field next year now, after the grass has been on it? What well, will you do? This this crop is a first year grass seed, so we won't plough this up. This will stay down for a second year, and then it'll come to seed again. Right. And we'll combine it again. Right. And we might keep it down for a third year, but the yield does diminish each year you grow it. And it gets harder to keep it clean, but basically the equation is it costs less to grow a second and third year crop, and therefore you can live with a lower yield. Right. And will you improve this field? Will you fertilise this field then in the winter? Or? Yeah, it'll have. Uh, when our ground is um, hungry for potash, right. um, and so that it will have potash early in the spring and then a little bit of nitrogen to kickstart the grass and then it's treated as a normal arable crop of grass but of course the advantage we've got is that because it hasn't been cultivated the weed problems will be much less right right and so hopefully we will only need minimal weed killer uh, to, to get it clean enough for next year's harvest right trailers both full of seed. Are you sidling up to this one now to offload your what your combine harvester has collected since That's I've right. been in it? Yeah. Assuming I can. So what sort of tonnage can you fit in the, in the harvester itself? The harvester will hold about five or six tons of wheat. Right, Grass right. seed is much lighter than wheat or barley so it doesn't hold many tons of it but right. two or three full tankfuls will fill one of these 12-ton trailers, right? Yeah. Um, and as you probably see, we've got like a long sock on the end of the unloader. Yeah, yeah. And that's the right. reason for that is because grass seed is light and it blows about. That sock, if I can get the spout low enough and near the middle of the trailer, yeah, it will then no, stop the wind blowing it out of the trailer. There's a definite knack to uh, manoeuvring this machine, isn't it? I've got, I've got my, <laughs> I'm moving my feet. Maybe stepping on my toes. So you're just turning it. Turning so it I, now, wasn't, I wasn't it sidling there. up to you. No, that's all right. You carry on, Phil. <laughs> you just, you're just telling me, Phil, these things, I mean, it's this massive thing. And you, this time of year, there are all sorts of combines and tractors and trailers on the roads more than normal. 
and uh, somebody drive into you the other day when you were negotiating your way down the road? Obviously we have to be a little bit careful with the uh, machinery of this size on the road because there isn't necessarily room to pass it. Yeah. So when we're moving around on the road we have an escort in front of us right, right. with all flashing beacons and everything else on it. Yeah, yeah. And um, the idea is that when the oncoming traffic sees the escort vehicle they slow down or pull over or whatever. And on this occasion the oncoming traffic narrowly missed crashing into the escort vehicle. <laughs> Careered past that. Oh, we shouldn't laugh, should we? Came round a blind corner <laughs> to be greeted by me in the combine and proceeded to disappear under my right front wheel. I've just seen a dead, dead pigeon in the field. The, the, the ornithologist guy, uh, Roger Beckett, that came over on one of our open days said there might be a, a peregrine about because he'd seen a, a bunch of pigeon feathers under a tree and he thought it was the work of a peregrine rather than a, a sparrow hawk. Uh, but you were saying. I guess you know the evening is probably the evenings are more as always the best time to see animals anyway, aren't they? See wildlife. So um, because you're out here in the evening, I mean, what sort of stuff do you see? Well, the, the great thing is that a lot of the wildlife takes no notice of the machinery at all, and so the the, the contrast between the lights of the machinery and the dark round it, the wildlife quite like that. So that we'll see all the. Um, mammals, the deer will come out, the foxes, the badgers, we'll see all of those at night. Um, but as it goes dusk, you tend to start to see that some of the birds of prey, the owls, will come out at dusk. And we, we have seen the peregrines, although not very often. They're very solitary birds and very they, they like it very dehumanised, I think. Right, um, right. But I don't actually know where they nest. That, that, that we do intermittently see a pair and, and I'd agree with the, the ornithologist chap that I think they're about here but I, I'm, I'm led to believe their territories are quite large right. so that, it, that might be why we only see them intermittently that they're nesting somewhere else and that they come and hunt this patch from time to time Yeah, you said you saw a, a dead fox cub as well the other day Yeah we did, um, he, he, I suppose he was about foot long, I, I, you know, he wouldn't have been very old, one of this year's cubs, um, and couldn't see any obvious reason why he died, he, he, he just keeled over, yeah. but we do see them occasionally, and I'm, I'm led to believe that the fox population from time to time get distemper, which knocks a few of them out, and then they get resistant to it, and they'll, they'll you know, not, 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 are not susceptible to it for a bit, so it might have been that. Um, Possibly could have been lack of food. Um, I don't know really. Yeah, it could have been a number of things, I guess. But it's interesting about distemper. People don't usually imagine that foxes would die of something like that. But I guess there's no reason why they shouldn't, is there? It's a kind of natural way of controlling fox numbers. I think it's a bit like myxomatosis in rabbits, isn't it? That yeah. Every so often they get it. And yeah. of course, we all vaccinate our pet dogs against distemper because. You know, for obvious reasons, if they get it, it doesn't no good at all. No, that's right. Um, and so I assume that it's about, and every so often they have a bit of a, a bit of a go with it. Yeah, yeah. Right, we're just manoeuvring away back at the field again to uh, finish these last few strips. You've uh, got a nice bit of set aside on the left-hand side here, Phil. I can see um, various bits and bits. Well, there's a lot of docks and thistles. Uh, there's some nice fireweed in there, and last time I walked through, I 
started here at Whitethroat in one of the bramble patches. I mean, how do you how do you manage that? Is that is that part of the, uh, the, you know, the, the your um, sort of obligation to, uh, to the way you farm? Or? Yeah, we we are obliged now to set aside eight percent of our arable area, um, and the management of that set aside is is written down. And basically, in, in simple terms, it means that we have to top it once a year, so mow it mow it off once a year. And we have to do that, I think it's at least once every three years. The phrase is that you have to keep the field in a condition that you can use it agriculturally. So it, around here, we have if you leave ground alone, you get invaded by orals or alder trees. Right, and right. obviously if we let those go too big and we can't top them, somebody could say, well that's now wood, not a not a field. Right, okay. <laughs> that's not a good thing. Yeah. But what's yeah. interesting about that is that that is a field that's been in set aside now continuously for about ten years. And there obviously there are weeds, thistles and docks in it, but they haven't taken it over. No, um, no, no and there are quite a wide variety of other things that have come there. And whether that's because that field within living memory was a wood, it was a field that was reclaimed from the wood during the last war, you know, whether that changes the, the species that turn up in there, I don't know, I suspect that's where the rosemary willow herb comes from, yeah. um, but there are a number of different grasses which are not terribly common in grass fields or um, as arable weeds out there. Well, as I say, the, the, the docks and thistles have not taken over to the exclusion of everything else. And you were just saying that you you found some quite interesting birds and insects out there. That's right. Yeah, it was interesting. It was a couple of our courses we wandered up and uh, and had a look round. And I know the ornithologist that came out for a, one of our open days did bring the group up here. Um, I think it was more interesting in a, in a big rare fungus that he saw on one of the oak trees than. Uh, than yeah, it's nice. It is a good spot. It obviously does provide uh, a reasonable amount of habitat for all sorts of birds and bugs. So well worth, well worth managing. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to top that any time now then? Yeah, that'll be top now as soon as we have a chance within the next month or so. Um, we've got to a point now that any ground nesting birds have had their broods so that we won't be disturbing those. And I suppose one of the great advantages for wildlife of that field is that it's very quiet. Yeah. It's isolated from all other houses and what have you by at least one or two fields. And it's got woodland round it. Um, and it's a nice sunny aspect. Um, and being at the sort of end of the farm, we're not continuously driving through it and disturbing it so that things can live there in relative peace and quiet. Yeah, absolutely. So we're coming to the end of this field now, Phil. You're just cutting this little tiny bit, carefully manoeuvring the machine to catch the last 20 yards of, of, uh, of grass. Yeah, back to the yard now and clean down for the next variety. Right, so we've got a kind of hose or pressure wash all this down, then I'll pressure hose it all well, down. What we actually use is compressed air, so we blow the whole machine off with compressed air right. and then run it so that it, it's got all the 
seed it can out, yeah. and then we hoover it out from top to tail to make sure that we've got it absolutely clean. Nice. Because obviously we don't want to contaminate the next variety with this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How long will that take to do then? We reckon it takes about three hours from start to finish. It's a big job, really. Yeah. We do it um, between 15 and 20 times a season to, 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 because all our crops are for seed, so we end up cleaning down from, from start to finish that many times every year. Right, right. So it's, it's quite a big commitment. It is, yeah, it must be, actually. So, uh, what about the other guys? Are they carrying on combining today? Well, they're, they're hauling bales. They'll probably help me clean down a little bit, but really what we want to do is to get as many bales under cover as we can in case it rains at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an ideal time to get them under cover, isn't it, really, when it's like this? Well, we've we made some very good, very good quality grass seed straw, and having made it good, the bales are very susceptible to the weather. If you let them rain on it, let it rain on it, it does them no good at all. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Whereas if it rains on the, the swath of straw before we bale it, we can always turn that and get it dry. But if the bale gets too wet, you can sometimes get to the point where you can never dry them out. They just go rotten. And so we don't want that. Well, excellent. Anyway, cheers for uh, having me on your combine, Phil. It's been a blast. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Cheers. Thank you, Richard, for that special combine report from Lower Blakemere Farm. Isn't that the first podcast from a combine cab, I asked myself. From cutting edge to our normal feature, so over to Monty for his Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms. Glowworms are not earthworms. They are larvae stage of beetles. I've seen five glowworms at night. The female's last three segments light up to attract a male. Thank you, Monty. And I think that's us, isn't it? Just before we go, if you would like to win £100 worth of Wiggly Vouchers, and there's eight of these to be won, there's a feature in Grow Your Own magazine. And it's all about native herbs and native fruits and berries and strawberries. Uh, wild strawberries and it says if you grow wild strawberries that they fruit for much longer than cultivated varieties and they're very um, yummily tasty. They are tiny but sweet. Maggie All the best things know. come in small packages don't Absolutely, they? Absolutely Richard. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you'd like to enter this competition to win these £800 vouchers it's easy. You can buy the magazine which is Grow Your Own which I think is fantastic. Or you can go online to www.growfruitandveg.co.uk and the and is A-N-D. And you can enter online. What are you up to next week, Rich? This is so exciting! Next week, yeah, well, it's a bit of food for thought for the listener. I'm going to go down to Eden to speak to Tim Smith about Eden, about why he's built it, how he thinks it's going, new plans, aspirations, etc., etc. I can't wait for that. Of course, it should be me who's going, but uh, no matter. No, <laughs> no right. matter. You're going to Ikea this afternoon. <laughs> I, I'll have you know, I opened the uh, job centre with the mayor, Richard. You did, you did, you did. <laughs> and so, we'll hope you're listening in next week for another taste of country life from down on the farm. Bye. Bye. So, 
Has Heather ever come up here combining with you? She's, yeah, she's been on the combine. Yeah. Does she get bored quickly? Yeah? It doesn't excite her. No. <laughs> no she doesn't. Does like she start messing about, pressing buttons and things. Yeah. Yeah. She's more interested in what colour it is. Has it got a sunroof? And is Elvis on the CD? 